Amen. Thank you, Kip. <laughs> it's all good, man. It is all good. Well, hey, good morning, Fellowship High Crest. How are we this morning? Okay, I know it's really rainy and drizzly and everything, but good morning, Fellowship High Crest. How are we this morning? All right, good, good. Well, welcome. My name is Jeremy Wynn, and I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I'm a little jealous of my wife, Paige, because she gets to be here every single week and worship with you guys as a church family. But because of my role, I'm only able to be here, you know, about half the time, which makes it all the more special when I'm able all the more, is that a right way to word that? Is that, Jimmy Ann says yes. Okay, all the more special to be able to be with you this morning. And I appreciate Jonathan allowing me to be able to share from the word. And we, you guys have been going through a series titled Middle Manager. And so, yeah, we got that up there. So uh, in this series, you guys have been looking at how, how to steward money God's way. Right, And Jonathan's done a great job mapping these out the first couple weeks. And today we're going to go a little more forward with this, and we're going to be talking about the, the idea of how the heart is the matter. The heart is the central issue of what we're going to be talking about and the central issue that goes along with the love of money. And I'll be honest, as I went through and studied for this morning, the content itself, like as far as knowing the content, it wasn't super difficult. But when I examined how I respond to it, and what I actually believed about the content, it was very challenging and very convicting. And so as I share with you this morning, this is stuff that I've been wrestling with, uh, with all week and uh, excited to, to share with you this morning. So you know, as we look at this, the, one of the questions or one of the taglines for this is that money is not the problem, love is. Money is not the problem, love is. And this is kind of a, a silly illustration, but you know, I've got a dollar bill here. I've got a dollar bill. And I don't know about you, but I don't dream and lust over and really think about green paper very often, right? Like, there's nothing about this green paper that I'm just like, oh, I just love green paper. And in the same way, up here on the screen, you see that right there. There's, it says 50,000 right there. 50,000, that's a lot, right? Well, that currency is from Indonesia, and I was able to go to Indonesia and work with some of our missionary partners, and their currency is called rupiah. And the conversion rate between $1 and rupiah is 15,000 to 1. 15,000 to 1. So I was over there, and you know, after a meal, you're spending hundreds of thousands of rupiah. It feels like you're using Monopoly money. you got to be like, okay, this is actual currency and money. i got to take this seriously and be a good steward of it. But you know, this, this money, it's, it's all relative, right, to what I guess the world decides is how much a dollar is worth. Or you know, maybe another way that money can be represented is in coins. So this is a, a silver coin right here. I, I like it better than a dollar. It's a little flashier, a little nicer. But I still don't think about, hey, how can I get a room full of coins that I can just sit and look at and be around and everything? Like, that, that's not where, where my mind goes to, right? And so money is not the issue. Love is. And then the question that's going to come from this is, so why, why do we love money or, or the concept of money? And I think what we're going to talk about is that you know, money... The love of money, it's only a symptom of the real heart issue, right? And this is where it got challenging, right? So I know, okay, money's not the issue, love is, okay, like I know that. But then when I start saying, okay, why, why do I love money? Or why do I like the idea or the concept of money or what money can get me? And that's where I started really getting challenged and convicted. 
And so we're going to start this morning. We're going to look at a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, open those up to page 721. And we're going to read this passage. And then we're going to look at four problems that exist in our world, which lead to why I can be swayed to love money and why possibly you as well might love money. So page 721, your Bibles, which are on your chairs, it says this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich, they fall into temptation. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Okay, there's a lot in that passage. So we're going to just break down four, four problems that come from why we love money. So the first one is the contentment problem the contentment problem. And Paul, who's the author of this, he starts with mapping out contentment because it's a core issue, a core value that leads to all sorts of other issues. What I mean by that is this. You know, when we talk about discontentment, I think too often we can think about, okay, I'm discontent because I just want more. I just want more, right? And until I get more, I'm going to have kind of a sour attitude. I'm going to be frustrated, all those types of things. So for me, right, like there might be a couple of things, and these might be silly, but it might be like, hey, I, I want to get a Nintendo Switch. I played that at the Marcus's house. I had a great time. And I'm like, man, I want to be able to play games and relax and have fun. Or another thing that I've been researching is a saltwater fish tank. Has anybody ever had a saltwater reef aquarium? Frank has. All right, we got a couple of people. Diane, they're, they're pretty cool, especially when you're in Kansas, like the farthest thing away from an ocean. Like, it's pretty cool to think about that. But the reality is is that really is not what Paul's talking about with discontentment. Discontentment, what it really is, is a lack of humility. It's a lack of humility, which, which unfortunately, again, it's that step deeper into the heart problem. So what it means is, is we're saying, okay, God, I know that you've created everything. I know you've given me everything, but I don't think it's enough. You know what I think? I think I deserve to have an attractive wife. I think I deserve to have a caring spouse. I think I deserve to have a good job. I think I deserve to have vacation. I think I deserve to have a break and play some Nintendo Switch. You know, I, I, and we start making these demands. And we focus on my wants, my needs, my feelings. And that's where we go. And so discontentment, it says, God, what you've provided for me is not enough. And God has given us everything. And what we're going to see later on is that God has lavished his love and grace upon us when we don't deserve it. So when we go discontent with our money, with our time, with our possessions, we're saying, God, you aren't enough and what you provide isn't enough and I know a better way. And the center of the motto, it says, I love me and I have a wonderful plan for my life. And I think my plan for my life is better than the plan that you have for me, God. And so then what also happens is we start making money and what money can buy us to be a functional savior. So we say, once I have these things, then I'm going to have joy, I'm going to have contentment, I'm going to have all these different things that are the whole in my heart, when the reality is the only thing that can fill that void of discontentment, that void of a lack of joy, of a lack of happiness, the only thing that can fill that is Jesus, but we say, Ugh, this following Jesus thing with everything, I, yeah, it's okay, I want the get out of you know, hell card, but I'm, I also really want my stuff. 
And so I'm going to try to fill this hole, this void that I have with stuff. And money is going to be that tool. It's going to be that savior that's going to enable me to be able to get the stuff that I want. So the first problem that we have is a contentment problem. But the next problem is an identity problem. And this one, this one's tricky. This one's tricky when you really think about it. So the identity problem is when, when you love money, we forget who we actually are. So again, here's what I know. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that God created me. I know that I'm designed for eternity. I know that I'm made for God's glory. But functionally, too often, I focus on what's happening right in front of me. I focus on, oh, I'm tired this morning. I didn't get enough sleep. When am I going to get some more sleep? I focus on, okay, what am I going to eat right now? I focus on, uh, when am I going to be able to go on vacation? When am I, like all these temporal, earthly things, I forget who I am. Because all these things that are going on here, that they, are, they are important, but we miss who we really are. That our main focus is to be a child of God and to live for eternity and not just the moment. And we miss out on so much because we're focused on what is right in front of us. And uh, a great illustration of, of uh, what it looks like to live a godly legacy and to keep your identity focused on Christ is Clark Johnson. I don't know if you have had the, the privilege of knowing Clark Johnson, but he uh, was a pastor for over 40 years. He was a pastor at um, First Southern Baptist Church here in town for 22 years and uh, was someone that, that mentored and invested in me. And I was at his funeral, and they said, you know, who here has personally been invested by Clark? I'm telling you, the major- like probably 80 90% of the people raised their hands. And the way that Clark spent his money the way that he spent his time is taking people out to lunch probably four to five times a week. That was his office. He'd go to lunch, he'd buy you lunch, and he would just sit and he would listen and he would encourage you and he'd share his life with you. His identity was in his Jesus. That was his focus. He never lost focus of that. Everything that he did, everything that he spent, everything that he said was focused on that. Now, he wasn't perfect, right? But he kept his identity clear of who he was. He was a follower of Jesus first, and he was a husband second. He was a father third. He was a friend fourth, and then he was a pastor fifth. And he kept that right, and he kept his identity focused, and because of that, God used him powerfully. And his legacy are passed on. I know I've, I've been blessed by it. I know Ryan's been blessed by it. I know there's many in this room that have been blessed because Clark Johnson kept his identity in the right place. But again, I confess that although I, I know that, I, I forget so easily. Okay, so we've had two problems of why we tend to love money. One, the contentment problem. Ultimate's a lack of humility. Number two, it's the identity problem. Ultimately, we forget that we're made for all of eternity and we focus on the present. And the, the third problem is the fallen world problem. This one we don't forget about, but I don't think we fully realize how powerful it has a sway on us. What I mean is this. This is not the way that the God intended the world to be. He knew, he knew when he created man and woman that he gave them free will, that they could choose to sin and turn away from him. But that wasn't what he wanted. He wants all to have a relationship and to love and to follow him. But the reality is we live in a fallen, broken world because we chose to rebel against a good and loving God. And so in this fallen and broken world, things are not the way they're supposed to be. But we get tricked 
to think that we can make things the way they're supposed to be in this world. What I mean is we look and we see on Facebook, we look on Instagram, we look on Pinterest, all these different things, and we see, oh, man, if I could have that, I think, I think I'd be good. Or, yeah, I don't like how my house is set up now, but, man, if I can get that, ugh, this fallen world thing, is gonna, we, we don't use that language, but, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel right. Because we long for joy, for peace, for lack of chaos. We, we, we long for that. And we say, okay, yep, this world isn't right, but I see some of these images of what it could be, and I want to try to control it. And so I'm going to use money to be able to buy all these different things to make this fallen world right. And we miss out that this, this world is always going to be broken, but Jesus can work powerfully and change hearts and lives. And that's what it's about. And so as, as we're looking at this fallen world problem, you know, it's not meant to be discouraged of, oh, yeah, this world's just broken and messed up and, they're, you know, all, and we should just give up. No, we should say money is not going to solve this fallen world issue, but we can say God and Jesus is, can help redeem and make things new now, but ultimately it's all going to be made clean. It's all going to be made new, and money is not going to solve that. Even though as we look at images and social media, we think, you know, maybe, maybe it will. Maybe it can make, the, make things right. And the other thing is, is that in addition to seeing the images of what we think, oh, I think I'd like things to be like that, it's so easy. On Amazon, hey, click here. One click. Marketers, researchers, businesses, they want to make it as few clicks and as easy as possible for you to be able to buy what you want right now. They want to ship it to you faster. They, I mean, everything is, is fast, you can buy faster. You can see what, things that you want faster. I mean, it's just crazy. And so for us, just to take a step back and realize, okay, yes, we live in a broken world, and things are not going to be right, and I don't need to get swayed by all the things that this world is saying I should have, I should be a part of, I should do, and be content and realize, no, Jesus is enough. And he's the only thing that's going to make this fallen world in my own heart right, and he's the only thing that's going to make this world right now and for all of eternity. All right, so in the final problem, before we go to the positives, I'm really looking forward to get there, but we have one more problem. And this problem is the worship problem. And ultimately, it all comes down to this. The love of money, it's about worship. Because we, as God's creation, we were designed for relationship, and we were designed for worship. Worship is not a bad thing. It's just, what do we worship? And so I'm a huge KU fan, right? So KU's won a couple football games. I'm like, hey, football season's better than I thought. And then basketball season's coming. And, you know, I, uh, this was um, a basketball game my, my, my wife and I went to. Perry Ellis, man, I love him. Hard worker, Kansas guy. All, Ryan got to guard Perry Ellis. True, true story. And actually did a pretty good job holding him down. And so, uh, but we went to that game. It was senior night. And, you know, I, again, I, I know that sports can be a focus of worship where we spend our money. You know, I don't know how much those tickets cost, but it costs a good investment. It costs money. It costs time. It costs planning, everything. But you know what I didn't realize is how, how bold the NCAA is in, in claiming that college basketball or in sports is worship. So in the pre-show, in the pre-show, they're showing all the highlights and everything. Like, yeah, let's go. And it says, welcome to Allen Fieldhouse, the cathedral of college basketball. 
I mean, they use worship language. They're playing to, to our hearts because, you know, with, with college basketball, we can, we can root for our team and we can be all in and we can be these amazing fans. But then what happens after the game? Like, if they won, we're good. If they lose, hey, you know, we can move on. But with Jesus, we can't do that. If we're going to worship him, there's sacrifice involved. Like, we are all in invested, not only in this life, but for all of eternity. And so win, lose, draw, like, we're in the fight, and we're not a fan. We're actually, like, on the court playing. But, but, but the problem is, is we're in the game, and we're playing, but we don't have the skill set. We have to have the Holy Spirit filling us, or else, like, we don't know what the heck we're doing. And so this, this worship problem, it, it is deep-seated inside of us because we long for, we're made for worship, but our sinful flesh causes us to worship things apart from Jesus. Satan wants to twist, distort, steal, like move us away from following Jesus, like whatever it takes. And what scares me too is Satan knows my weaknesses more than I do. And I'm like, and so then I'm like, oh great, well what am I going to do? Again, we're not called to give up, we're called to run to Jesus. <laughs> because if we don't, we're not going to make it on our own. And so our problem, it becomes when we offer, we offer love, we offer adoration, we offer worship and service that were meant for, for God and God alone to be something, to something that the world he created. So as we look at this, we look at, you know, the love of money, it's not a little thing. And it really is. The love of money, it's a portal to all kinds of evils. Because we trick ourselves and say, not that, oh man, I love green paper and silver, but we say, if I have more of that, I think I can get to the things that are going to make me happy and are going to get to the things that are longing in my heart. But that's unfortunately, well, no, fortunately, it's, it's a lie. And the love of money, it connects us to those foundational issues of our heart. It's those life-shaping issues of contentment of identity, of how we understand and relate to the world and in eternity and worship. Okay, so now we're going to shift. So we've talked about these problems, and I don't know if you're like me. Like I said, you know, at a head level, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know I shouldn't be discontent. You know, I know I should have my identity focused. But as I really processed it, I was like, this is deeper and deeper the more I think about this. I don't know how I feel about this. So let's talk about how, uh, what should be our greatest love, okay? What should be our greatest love? And so I'm going to look at Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5. And uh, what page is that on? Somebody? 704. Thank you, Deb. So 704 in your Bibles, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5. Becky actually read this earlier, and it says this. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Oh, man, I love the first two words there. But God. It's like in Genesis 1, where it's like, in the beginning, God. Oh, thank goodness he showed up. And then right here, but God. Thank goodness that he showed up. Because before this, we see, so God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So, you know, again, we go back to that discontentment thing. When I'm saying, God, I don't think you've given me enough. Like, I, I think that I deserve all these different things. God's kind of like, what? You know that you, you weren't just neutral when I found you. You were dead. You were six feet under. And I raised you to life because of my mercy, because of my grace. 
And again, as I moved from knowing, yeah, okay, I know the gospel, to really being like, huh. So there's nothing I could have done to change from being dead, and you did everything, and yet I'm still discontent. What is, what is going on here that I'm discontent after everything that you've done? And the good news is, there's this word grace. And this is a word that I need to hear, and I need to understand. Because you see, it's by grace that we've been set free, and there is nothing that we did or can do to deserve God's grace. Do you believe that? Are you okay with that? I guess Americans, we're like, nope, what do I need to do? Okay, go to church, read my Bible, do my prayer experience, do what, but there's, there's nothing that we can do. And that doesn't always sit well with us, but that's what God is offering us. You see, grace, it humbles me and opens my eyes to love the king rather than to be king. So if I love the king rather than wanting to be king, I'll say, God, thank you for all that you've provided. Now, now we live in a fallen world, so there's still things that, that aren't fully complete that I'm going to be longing for, that I'm going to be praying to God for, that, that are just difficult. But I'm saying, God, thank you that you are king. And I'm okay that I'm not king because I know I'm going to mess it up even worse. So thank you. Only grace can turn an entitled person like me into a thankful one. Only grace can transform a demanding and envious heart into one that is truly content. It is grace alone that can cause me to be, pra- to be patient, free from a heart that wants what it wants right now. That's me, I'm a doer, I'm get it done. Grace allows me to be patient. And only grace, it can enable us to be compassionate and able to see and care about the needs of others without being so dominated by our own needs and desires. So ultimately, the question, it's not about what should be our greatest love, but it's who should be our greatest love. And so that leads us to Jesus. Jesus must be our greatest love. And again, I know this, but do I believe it? Jesus must be our greatest love, and beyond our greatest love, he must be our one and only love. And that is a daily, a daily dying to oneself, a daily remembering the gospel and what that means and how that's good news in our life. But as we follow this greatest joy, as we follow Jesus, it's going to bring us joy. It's going to bring us contentment. It's going to bring us all those things that our hearts, our hearts long for. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to conclude with one, with one passage. It's a story. It's in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26, on page 590. It's a story of the rich young ruler. Now, you might have heard this story. That's good. I'm glad you know it. Let's see, let's see what God has to say for us in our hearts, okay? So Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26, page 590, it says this. So someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what, is, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions 
and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. So as we look at the story, at, at this parable, you know, Jesus knew this rich young ruler. He knew his heart. He knew he, where he was at before he even came. And, you know, I, I'm, I can be like that rich young ruler or like Peter, not because of the wealth part, but because I'm like, all right, Jesus, tell me what I need to do to make sure I'm a good Christian or make sure I can follow you. And, I'm, and all these questions are like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And Jesus realized what the heart of the matter was. And he said, you need to sell your possessions, give them to the poor and come follow me. And, you know, some of us in this room, God has blessed with, with riches and with being able to, you know, pay off debt and give to the church and all those things. And, and some of us are saying, man, I don't have a clue of what to do with my finances and it's stressful and everything. And, and Jesus is saying, wherever you're at, will you give me your heart and trust me with your finances? The amount doesn't matter. The heart is what matters. And then beyond the finances, he's saying, what is that one thing what is that one thing that you're holding on to that's preventing you from being all in to follow Jesus? So I've heard it said that following Jesus, 95%, 99% is super hard. But following Jesus 100% is easy because you give up that one thing that you don't want to let go of. And so my, my question is, what is the one thing Jesus is calling you to give up? So it could be, Love of money. It could be worrying about money. It could be lust. It could be control. It could be insecurities. It could be overworking at your job. It could be uh, underworking at your job. It could be worrying about your family. It could be having power over others. It could be worrying about your health. It could be obsessing about your health. It could be not caring about your health. It could be, it could be gluttony with food. It could be so many different things. And each one of us are at a different place in our journey. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to give, a, give us lies and say, you're never going to get over that one thing. You might as well just give into it or ignore it or don't, don't tell anybody about it. Don't bring it to light. But Jesus is saying, hey, what is that one thing? What is that one thing that you need to give up to follow me? Let me give you a couple questions to think about to help you figure out what that one thing might be. So what is that thing that you think about the most? What is it that you think about as, as you're walking, as you're at work, as you're in the shower, as you're driving the car? What is the one thing that constantly is on your mind? What is the thing that you worry about losing or giving up? You say, if I were to lose this or give this up, I don't know if I would be okay. What is it that you spend the most time doing or planning for? And then what is the thing you always seem to find money for? Okay. So in your worship guide, there's a blank. So before you leave today, write what that one thing is. And if you're in a rooted group, I know we've been talking about strongholds, and so it might be that stronghold, or it might be something else, but, but be in community to share what that one thing is. And I can tell you for me, um, the, the one thing for me is its performance. So at first I was thinking, 
okay, what is that one thing? And there were different things that I was processing. I was like, okay, I, I know I process our house quite a bit, and I want to make sure our house looks nice. I also process, you know, planning for work stuff. I also process, um, you know, when I'm going to go different places, how I can be prepared and everything. I was like, it seems kind of like this. What, what, what is it? And I was realized, I, I always want to make sure that people are saying, man, Jeremy, you are on it. Good job. Well done. I want to impress others. I want to accomplish things. I want to get things done. I want to be that Peter. I want to be that rich young ruler. They can say, yep, I'm good. I'm, I'm self-reliant. I can do these different things. And there's a, there's a reason that God designed me that way. There's part of my story that's involved in that. And, you know, having a God-given drive to get things done, accomplish, you know, God can use that for good. But he also, when that becomes an idol, and I'm more concerned about how I'm impressing other people than leading people towards Jesus, that's a problem, right? So even preparing for a sermon, right? Like, that is tough for me. Not, I can, I can put down, a, you know, type it up and everything, but God, where's my heart? Am I trying to give illustrations and things that people are going to be like, oh, man, Jeremy's smart, or Jeremy's, you know, funny, or he's whatever it might be? Or am I saying, God, what do you have me to share that's ultimately going to lead people towards you and not point them to me? right? And so, again, yours is going to be different. You might, you might not struggle with it at all. You're like, I don't want to be in front of people. I don't want people to see me. That might be you. I'm just sharing where, where I'm at. And this is something that I have to pray through every day, right? And that one thing for you is going to be something that you're going to have to pray through every day. The lie is believing that you can't overcome that. With that with, the lie is believing that you can't overcome it. The truth is that you can overcome it with the power of Jesus, okay? So as we prepare to, to wrap up our service today, and really think about what, what is that, that one thing. And don't forget that the, when you think about money, it's the heart of the matter that matters. Money is not the problem, love is. And as our hearts are aligned to the things that, that God's are, then you know, giving generously to people in need, you know, saying, okay, God, yes, I know you're calling me to, to give to what the Lord is doing at, at church. Yes, God, I know you're calling me to give up my time. I know you're calling me to open up our home. If our heart's in the right place, those things are kind of just no-brainers. But the reason we're not focusing on a how-to list as we go through this money series is it's got to start inside. We're not trying to work on behaviors. We're trying to work on the heart. The behaviors come as an outflow of the heart. I know that's what I've seen in my life. So, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll continue to, to worship through song. Father, thank you for this group of people here, this church, this body that's committed to, to following you and loving you. Father, I confess that our hearts, man, we are swayed easily. We, are, we become discontent easily. We forget who we are in you easily. We forget our identity. We, we, we get discouraged by the fallen, broken world we live in. We try to fix it on our own and, and, self, and self-medicate it and change it through money. And Father, ultimately our worship, where we, where we spend our, our, our money, our time, our allegiance, our thoughts, it gets turned away from worshiping you to worshiping things that money can buy for us. But Father, we thank you for, for the gospel and but God that you showed up in the midst of us being dead so that we could have life. And as we're examining our hearts, Father, bring, bring to light that one thing. Bring to light that one thing. Help us not be 90% and 95% and help us just say, God, we give it all to you. I, I can't handle this on my own. I can't get through this on my own. I need your help. And I need a community of believers around me to help me through this as well, Father. So I thank you for this church. And I pray that we, um, 
are all in to follow you. I pray this in your name. Amen.